0: All right, let's open up our Bibles, Second Samuel chapter 17. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, please go over to the resource table so you can follow along with us at 2 Samuel chapter 17. Uh, we will be going through the whole chapter this morning. If you're visiting, uh, this is in the midst of our series going through 2 Samuel. So we're at 2 Samuel chapter 17. We'll read the passage as we unpack it uh, today. I have a question. Have your plans ever failed? Anybody? Raise your hand if your plans have ever failed. Everybody raise your hand unless you are God or you just never plan anything. Have your desired will ever not taken place if your hopes for a situation not come to fruition? I mean, that happens all the time in our lives, right? You schedule an event and the weather gets in the way. And we did that. Where is he? Where's Alex? Super Bowl party. Several years ago, we had, uh, we used to always, like, this is the first year we were actually not doing a Super Bowl party. But 15 years, 14 years ago, we had a big snowstorm and had all this food and everything planned and we had to cancel it. That is life in this world. Maybe you got sick and weren't able to go to something that you were scheduled to go to. Maybe there was a job that you really wanted, you nailed the interview, you were certain you were getting the job, and you did not get the job. There was that house, you made the offer, you put a bid in, you thought it was a good bid, man, you really, you were even daydreaming already of what the house was gonna look like with where you're in it, how you were gonna use these rooms, and then you did not get an accepted offer, and the house went to somebody else. Maybe it was a relationship. You thought you were going to be with that person till the end, and circumstances change, and all of a sudden, that's not the person that you ended up marrying. Somebody you didn't even know existed is the person that you ended up getting married to and having children. You see, life is filled with failed plans, crushed dreams, disappointments, obstacles galore. But here's the good news today in God's Word. God's plans never fail. Say it with me. God's plans never fail, even if it doesn't look it. Even when everything seems to be hanging in the balance, we need to be reminded that God's sovereign hand is always at work, and He's always prevailing. He is our unstoppable God. And we're going to see that firsthand in our chapter today. Uh, as we unpack it, we're going to look at three ways we see God and how he's unstoppable in this passage. First of all, we're going to begin by looking at the potential threat. It looks bad on the surface, especially if we took out one verse. It looks really bad on the surface what's going on with David. Like this might be David's death warrant. David might be dying really soon in light of the circumstances. Secondly, we're going to see the powerful truth. And the powerful truth is what is really going on here is not a bunch of enemies trying to take David down. It's God orchestrating his divine will right before our eyes. And then lastly, we're going to look at the people turnover. We're going to see God's will and people and how that all fleshes itself out. On a practical level, all right. So let's get started. As we see uh, the potential threat, it really does seem like God's promises are at risk of being unfulfilled in our passage today. Uh, for those of you visiting, as I said, we've been going through Second Samuel. I want to draw attention to one particular verse over the course of the whole book that really highlights what we're, we're talking about. Second uh, Samuel seven sixteen. It says, "In your house." And your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. This is God's covenant with David. He says, and your throne shall be established forever. Now, though Absalom is in his line, it doesn't seem like Absalom is the fulfillment of this promise. So you start wondering, well, what's going on, God? Is, is David, this promise you made, are you going to break it already? We just don't know what's going to happen, but we'll see shortly that God's promise is far from not being fulfilled. So first of all, as we look at the potential threat, I want to look at plan A, plan A. Read with me verses 1 to 4. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men, and I will arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged and throw him into a panic, and all the people who are with him will flee. I will strike down only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. And the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom and all the elders of Israel. So here is Ahithophel's idea, and it is a good idea. We need to emphasize that. We need to acknowledge this is a really wise idea crafty plan on his part. If you've ever watched boxing, if you ever watched mixed martial arts, any kind of a combat fighting sport, one of the things you never see happen hardly is if one opponent staggers the other opponent. So imagine you're in a boxing match, and one person punches the guy, and he gets hit, and he puts his hands down. What does the other guy typically do? Go for the knockout, right? He usually doesn't stop. He doesn't give him a chance. Well, that. I didn't mean to hurt you. My bad. Are you, are you okay? Get, get yourself back to normal, and then, and then we'll keep fighting. No, you go for the, the, the knockout. You see, Ahithophel, he sees this as a knockout possibility in our passage. He sees the opportunity against David. Listen to what he says. He is discouraged. He is weary. He is not ready for an attack. If I go right now and get him, we can take him out. It'll be minimal casualties. We'll just deal with David, and then I'll bring all the people back. We'll be at peace. You'll be able to rule and reign. This will be great. He is very opportunistic. He's what the Proverbs speak of. Proverbs 10, 5. He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. So he's taking advantage. Now, as we said, this might be a little bit rooted in revenge. If you kind of do some biblical genealogy, it, it looks like, we can't guarantee for a fact, this is Bathsheba's grandpa. So it gives a little bit more of a motivation for him to want to bring David down. But we don't know. But either way, his plan is low risk. He will be the one ultimately in danger. Only person to be harmed will be David. So do you see wisdom in this plan? Kind of big picture, though, do you take advantage of opportunities? Do you act when you can? Because it's, it's a good plan. That's plan A. But let's look at plan B, verse 5. Then Absalom said, call Hushai the archite also, and let us hear what he has to say. And when Hushai came to Absalom, Absalom said to him, thus has Ahithophel spoken, shall we do as he says, if not you speak? Then Hushai said to Absalom, this time the counsel that Ahithophel has given, it's not good. Hushai said, you know that your father and his men are mighty men, and that they are enraged. Like a bear robbed of her cubs in the fields, besides your father is an expert in war, he will not spend the night with the people. Behold, even now he has hidden himself in one of the pits or in some other place, and as soon as some of the people fall at the first attack, whoever hears it will say, there has been a slaughter among the people who follow Absalom. Then even the valiant men, whose heart is like the heart of a lion, will utterly melt with fear, for all Israel knows your father is a mighty man, and those who are with him are valiant men." But my counsel is that all Israel be gathered to you from Dan to Beersheba, as the sand by the sea for multitude, and that they go to battle, in per- that you go to battle in person. So we shall come upon him in some place where he is to be found, and we shall light upon him as the dew falls on the ground, and of him and all the men with him, not one will be left. If he withdraws into the city, then all Israel will bring ropes to that city, and we shall drag it into the valley until not even one a pebble is to be found there. Notice the difference in the plan. There's a lot of of noticeable difference. I I, I personally, when I shop, especially if I'm buying a little bit of a larger item, a little bit more costly one, I really like to be able to compare shop. You know what I'm talking about? Some websites are really good, especially like electronics. You're buying a new TV. You can put a couple different options, and, and certain websites will let you line them up side by side, and you can kind of see, okay, well, this one has this, and this one doesn't have this. They both have this feature, and it kind of helps you make an informed decision. And that seems to be kind of how Absalom is. He, he wants an informed decision. He's like, all right, plan A, it's a good plan, but is there another plan? Is there an alternative plan when it comes to uh, this particular situation? And, and we see what it is. Notice some of the, the things that Hushai says in regards to this. Now, now, first of all, we need to remember, you and I know a secret that nobody else knows, and that's what? Hushai, who is Hushai working for? He's for David, Not Absalom. So we we need to understand he's a traitor. He is a spy. He is undercover. Uh, So so we need to be mindful of that. So he gets his take. First of all, notice what he does. And and the reason that he is kind of giving an argument against Ahithophel's plan is what? One, to protect David because he knows David could die from this. Two, look back up at verse 23 of chapter 16. It's important for us to remember this about Ahithophel. Now in those days, the counsel that Ahithophel gave was as if one consulted, consulted the word of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. So that's important to remember. This is just not some random guy that gave Dave or gave Absalom an idea, a plan to go. No, this was as if God was speaking to Absalom. So for shy to kind of convince the other direction to happen, he's got to do a pretty good sales pitch. So what are some of the points he makes in regards to this? He first of all points out that this is wrong this time. He doesn't say, Ahithophel never knows what he's talking about. No, it's wrong this time. And he stresses a couple things. One, he stresses David. What about David? David is a mighty man. We know that. He had a pretty big victory before. He beat some tall guy, right? Remember that? He beat Goliath. He beat other people. He led them into battle. So he was a really strong warrior. And not only was he a strong warrior, he had a group of men, which we'll look at later in the book of 2 Samuel, that were called David's mighty men. So he's mighty. His men are mighty. And he's like, hey, it's not going to be as easy as you think, Ahithophel, Now, that's debatable, right, because it's going to be a small group. And how many people was Ahithophel going to bring? 12,000. So it's not like—and he wasn't necessarily bringing 12,000 very ill-equipped, unskilled people. He was going to probably bring 12,000 people who could fight, who were were warriors in their own right. Second thing he points out is that David is too smart— he won't be there. Is that true? No, it's not true. Because David was vulnerable when he ends up sending the message to David. So David had not separated himself from the people like Hushai was warning. And then he says, the moment we start fighting and we experience resistance because of David and his mighty men, the moment that happens, everybody's going to get in a panic. They're going to get afraid. And our own people are going to flee because they're scared of David. Now, all these concerns, I think, are legitimate concerns. But I think if we stop right there, he's probably still going to go with Ahithophel's plan. But there's something different about this plan that changes everything for Absalom. Can you figure out what it is? It's all about pronouns. It's all about pronouns. Plan A Who is doing all the heavy lifting? Ahithophel. Look at it. I will arise. I will come. I will strike. I will bring back. I will do these things. Absalom, don't worry. You don't have to lift a finger. You're going to be safe back here. I'm the one going to put myself in harm's way. Does that sound like Absalom? Who is Absalom's biggest fan? Absalom. He loves himself. He's got the glorious hair. He's the best looking dude ever, it says. At least at that point, nobody's like him. He's he's flawless from from head to toe. So Absalom kind of loves himself. You think he's going to like a plan that doesn't revolve around him at all? So Hushai, in his wisdom, what does he do? He makes it all about Absalom. Notice what he says We're going to gather all the people. And you will lead us into battle. You will do this. You're gonna be the center stage. You see that the, the the pride here. I even think the reason he asked ultimately for a second opinion is he didn't like the fact that it had nothing to do about him. Because the plan was a good plan. Ahithophil's plan was good, but it, uh, I'm not involved in the plan. And Hushai gets him involved. Proverbs 15, 25. The Lord tears down the house of the proud but maintains the window's boundaries. The thoughts of the wicked are an abomination of the Lord but gracious words are pure. The Lord tears down the house of the proud and Absalom is proud personified. Remember, Hushai leaves this situation. He doesn't know what ultimately will happen. But do you see the danger of pride? Do you see the the danger of seeking your own glory, the desire for acclaim? Are we all guilty of that, though? We love putting things around us. We love being the center of everything, and and we see this with Absalom. And it's going to end up costing him his life. He would have just went with Ahithophel's plan Who knows what happens? But nope, he wants this different plan. He follows Hushai's. So that's a potential threat, plan A versus plan B. As we'll know, plan B is the one that prevails. Let's look at the powerful truth. And the powerful truth, I, I stopped just short of his, verse 14, that God ordained these events. He's working out his will in this situation. So let's look at God's sovereign hand. Verse 14, it says, And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, The counsel of Hushai the Archite is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For the Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. Friends, if we take that verse out of this chapter, everything going on seems like luck, chance, just happening. When you add that verse, it changes the whole perspective. Because often we don't see what's going on behind the scenes. I mean, I've I've seen this often online where people have videotaped stuff at their home because they could not explain why something was being moved, why something was happening. Uh, A child was moving something in the house and they just couldn't figure it out. So the parents finally put a camera in the room and all of a sudden you started seeing what the kid was doing after hours. Another one, the woman kept waking up feeling like she was being suffocated. She watched video. It was her animal. It was her cat or her dog, like in the middle of the night, would sit on her face. She couldn't breathe. She'd wake up freaking out, and nothing was there. She watched the video. Kind of that invisible reality of what was happening. You see, God's sovereignty is often not visible to our eyes. It's not as as obvious, you understand, It's not like where we see a physical form of God right there, and he's talking, and we hear an audible voice. A lot of the times when we see God at work, it is very, it's subtle. We don't know. Nobody in this passage has verse 14 to themselves. Nobody. Hushai doesn't, David doesn't, Absalom doesn't, Ahithophel doesn't. And yet God is working, he's purposing, he's ordaining, he's planning Proverbs 16.33 says the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So where do we see God working in this passage? One, Hushai. Remember God, David had prayed for, for Hithophel's counsel to be thwarted. And immediately after that, Hushai came up. So Hushai is an answer to prayer. Hushai is the one that is led by the Spirit of God to come up with this alternative plan. But we not only see God at work in Hushai, we see God at work in who? Absalom. That Absalom, when he had that decision to make, he could have went with plan A, but yet he goes with plan B. Who ultimately made that decision? God did through Absalom. Acts 4, 27, he talks about gathering together your holy servant Jesus to do whatever God's hand and God's plan had predestined to take place. So, everybody was culpable for crucifying Christ, but ultimately, what were they doing? They were carrying out God's plan and God's purpose. I think for you and I, that is a reminder that God works through the mundane, unimportant details of our lives. No matter the situation, He's at work, He's got a plan. Just imagine what happens if Plan A happens? Does David die? Think about it. And not only David, let's say David dies, because we know ultimately it's going to go through the, the, the line of, of, of Solomon. And, oh, do you think Absalom would have kept him around for the long haul? No. He would have not only killed David, he would have killed any potential threat to the throne. But that's how God works. He's working through those details. Well, can you testify to God's sovereign hand in your life? has got at work in your life today, think about it. Look back at your life. I mean, I'm amazed at God's providence in my life over the years. Even when as we're, we've been at the Y for going over 16 years, when we ended up at the Y, we were at the mill, and like circumstances happened. My friend happened to be in North Carolina, and in North Carolina, all the churches, all the Y's had churches associated. At no point when I was looking did I ever consider looking at a YMCA to bring the church to. And yet my friend, being in North Carolina, resulted in me checking out Wives. I mean, I think we could all testify, all these like random details that don't seem to matter, but they matter in God's plans. Find comfort in that. Even in your own life right now, as you're looking at your circumstances, God is at work. We see not only God's sovereign hand, we see God's saving help. Let's pick up at verse 15. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel. And thus and so have I counseled. So Hushai sends a message with all the details that we just read. What was plan A? What was plan B? Now, therefore, send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with them be swallowed up. Now, Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Bahurim, who had a well in his courtyard. And when they went down into it, and the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to that woman at the house, they said, Where are Himmahaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, They have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, the men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people were with him and they crossed the Jordan by daybreak. Not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. So God ordained to defeat Ahithophel's counsel and he does that through people who are unaware of what they're ultimately doing. That they're just trying to save David. They don't realize that they are the hands and feet of God's sovereign plan. Hushai doesn't know that. Nobody does. So we get to see it play out in real time. And I I think one of the things we see in all this is a, a walking by faith element of us as followers of the Lord. 2 Corinthians 5, 7, we walk by faith, not by sight. In other words, though God is sovereign in this passage, we see man very responsible in the midst of all of it. It's not just simply, hey, God's going to thwart the plans of Absalom. Therefore, we can sit back and do nothing because God's going to do it. No, God uses people to do his work. God has to open up the hearts of unbelievers, but he uses you and I to be the instrument, the voice, to lead those people to Christ. So we, we need to be mindful of that. We need to, to not have a kind of a fatalistic view of this world that I just do nothing and God does everything. God has ordained not only the end, but he has also ordained the means. So we see this, and it's a very suspenseful passage. So these guys, they get, they're, they get caught that they're, they're ultimately uh, being somewhere that they probably weren't. Absalom finds out so he ends up having people chase. Have you ever been followed by anybody? Anybody? It's kind of terrifying. I remember when I was overseas and it was on spring break and I was passing out Bibles and I got kicked off a of college university and I had to go several miles and I had to ride on uh, public transportation and I didn't speak the language and I it was James Bond. It was. Because I was convinced everybody was following me. Reality, I don't think anybody was following me. But I was just I was looking and I was double backing because all my years in training as a CIA undercover operative. Uh, no, but I mean, it's, it's really like the suspense is building in the story. They get hit under a well. So even in this, so here's, and I don't want to digress too much. We got ethics going on here. They ask, where are these guys? She says what? They're gone. She just did what? She lied. Is it okay to lie? When is it okay to lie? Think about it. There's another story in the Bible, very similar situation, the book of Joshua. What did Rahab do? She lied. The men came to be, but I did not know where they were from, and they're gone now. Yeah, I'm not going to give you an answer on that. So just wanted to throw that out there. Bible doesn't comment on it. I think let's trend towards telling the truth. I think pretty much most, if not all the time, we, we, were, we were ethical in our dealings with people. But even in the midst of her lying, God is still doing what? He's carrying out his plans, carrying out his will. Or are you walking out in faith today? Are you a man or woman of integrity? Do you see God work in real time, real life? And do you see it's it's messy? I mean, that's one of the beauties of the Bible and stories in the Bible. This is real life, and God doesn't work out all the details for us to to understand it. I mean, she straight up lies. And you know what? That lie ends up saving these people's life because they, in turn, are able to go to David and save David's life. So we see the potential threat. We see the powerful truth of God's sovereign hand and help well, let's consider the people involved. First of all, we see what it looks like being on the wrong side. So we need to remember what he said in verse 14. The Lord had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that, listen to this, because this is important, because I think a lot of us, we don't have this in our theology, so that the Lord might bring harm upon Absalom. That the Lord might bring judgment, that the, more the Lord might bring uh, difficulties on Absalom. So that's part of God's plan is sometimes to punish, sometimes to bring suffering towards people. And then we go down to verse 23. It says, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he saddled his donkey, he went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. First of all, it seems like a really wild overreaction. We've seen that. There are overreactions in 2 Samuel already. We remember Absalom, uh, he wasn't getting any response from Joab. So what did he do? I'll burn his field down. That'll get his attention. And in this one, it seems in the the immediate, it seems kind of ridiculous, right? Ahithophel... He always goes with your counsel. One time he doesn't go with it, you kill yourself? I mean, it seems like an overreact. It seems like uh, the, the person at work that doesn't get their way and immediately they quit. Or the kid in the playground, they, they start playing the game without him and he goes and takes his ball and walks off. Like, why, why did he do that? But that's not what's going on here and we need to understand that. Ahithophel actually really is on to something. And what he's on to is this, that he knows that this choice made by Absalom is going to ruin Absalom. He knows that David has ended up prevailing in this. David's going to be coming back as king, and what have I become to David? I've become a traitor, and I'm going to be dealt with. He knew that. He was was painfully aware, and as a result, he took the, the, the path of what Saul did. Do you remember Saul? Saul was, was, was dying, and he ends up falling on his sword, kills himself so that they won't be able to do anything to him once they come back. It's very much a, a Judas betrayal moment that he knows there's going to be consequences. And we need to understand that, that God is a God who judges. We love saying God is a God of love, but he's also a God of justice. I mean, part of his his coming is to to redeem, to save, to, to allow us to be with him for all eternity. But on the flip side of that glorious truth, it means those people that don't trust in Christ will not experience that, and they will experience wrath and condemnation in hell for all eternity. Both things are true. God's going to save David, and he's going to judge and punish Absalom. Revelation 20, verse 12. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they have done. And I think what we see in this is a glimpse of what happens to those who oppose God. We need to acknowledge that. We need to believe that. Friends, there are some here who don't know Jesus. Sitting here right now, listening to this. And there are two types of people. You know Christ, or you don't know Christ. You are justified, you have a right standing before God. Heaven is awaiting you, or you are still in your sin. You still are under the wrath and condemnation of God, and you will be punished for all eternity for your opposition, for your unbelief, for your sin. It's Those are the two options. So I encourage you, I, I, I plead with you to take heed to this warning because it is a real warning of what really will happen to those who oppose. I do want to say a brief word on suicide. The church Christians are loved to kind of jump in on that conversation and will be quick to say that suicide sends you to directly to hell. And I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to say that. The Bible, I don't think, teaches anything on that. I think that what the Bible teaches is unbelief sends you to hell. Opposing Christ sends you to hell. Ahithophel, assuming he is not in heaven, he's in hell, not because he committed suicide. It's because he opposed the anointed one. So understand that. Well, are you on the right side or wrong side? Are you opposing Jesus? Are you stuck in unbelief? Do you see the judgment that awaits the believer, the unbeliever, the unbeliever? So we see the wrong side. Well, let's look at the right side. Go to verse 24 with me. Then David came to Mahanaim, Mahanaim, and Absalom crossed the Jordan with all the men of Israel. Now Absalom had set Amasa over the army instead of Joab. Amasa was the son of a man named Ithra, the Ishmaelite, who had married Abigail, the daughter of Nahash, sister of Zeruah, Joab's mother, and Israel, and Absalom encamped in the land of Gilead. When David came to Mahanaim, Shobi the son of Nahash from Rabbah of the Ammonites, and Makur, the son of Emil from Lodabar, and Barzillai the Gileadite from Rogelim brought beds, basins, and earth vessels, wheat, barley, flour, parched grain, beans, and lentils, honey, and curds, and sheep and cheese from the herd. For David and the men and the people who were with him were there to eat. For they said that people are hungry and weary and thirsty in the wilderness. So first of all, that place, it has a a significant place in redemptive history. Genesis 32, Mahanaim. Uh, Jacob was there. He went on his way, and the angel of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. So he called it the name Mahanaim. So isn't it fitting that David, in the midst of a a battle that's going to be taking place in the midst of his son trying to kill him that God's camp would be where he would end up. It was that reminder to him. It was a source of of encouragement that God was going to be with him. But not only God, notice all the people, all the faces. New York City, we commonly call that the melting pot of America. Why is that? Because there is massive diversity in that city. Eight million people with over 800 languages spoken. Think of that. And I think what we start seeing even in these passages is the diversity of whose God's side is. They're all over the place. We got, we got foreigners. We got uh, the ethnic Jews. We've got Joab seems to be back on the scene. We got a guy from Maker from Lodabar. That's where Mephibosheth was. So there's a connection there. And I think what we see in the midst of all of this is a bunch of nobodies being used by God. I remember Tony Evans, he said, nobody's telling everybody about a somebody. And I think there's diversity, but not only diversity, that you and I play a part. God uses people to protect, to support his people. Everyone plays a part. I think one of my concerns pastorally as we grow as a church in numbers is I'm so afraid that somehow we'll start losing that, that people will feel like they can just show up on Sunday and be a spectator and we'll see you next week. Part of the reason we're bringing on the two elder candidates is we want to really be in your lives. And one of the ways we want to be in your lives is we want you to be participating yeah, Andy and I are, are the paid guys, but that doesn't mean we do all the work. We want you to come alongside. We want you to use your gifts, your abilities, your passions. That this, is a, this is a group project. This is a family affair. This is a community outreach that we do as a church, and we see this here. It's amazing. All these different people are being used by God. Revelation seven nine, that's what we have to look forward to: A great multitude that no one could number from every tribe and tongue and nation were standing before the throne and before the lamb. Well one, are you on the right side? You see how privileged you are to be God's instrument. Are you grateful for God's use of others in your life? Are you excited about the world? Are you excited about eternity? I mean, one of the reasons we're supportive of of international uh, missions and why we're going to be doing something over in in the Europe and Middle East area is because we believe that God wants people from every tribe and tongue and nation. I have a lot of random paranoias and fears. Not going to go through all of them right now with you. But there's one specifically at my house that I worry about all the time, And it has to do with my sump pump. So I have a basement. Previous house did not have a basement. Never worried about flooding in my crawl space. Didn't care. Didn't care. Didn't care. However, one point I was living at my in-laws, and the sump pump didn't work, and there was a flood, and I remember the pain of cleaning out their basement and carrying out heavy, wet carpet, so that has left an impressionable mark on me. So with my sump pump, I am always worried it's not working, even when it's working. So I even I have, I have my sump. I have a backup sump on a battery, so even if the one stops, the other doesn't. And sure enough, my other one stopped this past year, had to replace it, still had the battery one. So anytime it rains now, I run downstairs, I look. I'll even take my socks off because they have carpet in the basement. I was like, oh, not wet, we're good. When we come back from any kind of vacation or away, very first thing I do is go downstairs. I pray as I'm walking down the steps, Lord, please let the sump pump. And it's like, it's working, it, it, it works. It, it, I've got lights on, it shows it's working, but it's not always running because it only runs when it's got to do What? pump out the water. But like, I want it to run 24-7. That gives me peace of mind that it's working. That's not how it works. I think sometimes, you and I, we view God like our sump pump. We're not sure that he's working. We don't see him working. We don't hear him working. And we start doubting we start panicking. We start getting anxious, like, "Oh no! Like, where is God?" And guess what? He's there. He's still there. He was there, like he was yesterday. Now he's going to be tomorrow. He is there. When our plans fail, when dreams are crushed, when we experience disappointment one after another, when obstacles arise, we ask if He's working, and here's the answer: Yes. Even when everything seems to be hanging in the balance, we need to be reminded that God's sovereign hand is at work and prevailing. So if there's opposition towards the church, if there's opposition uh, towards Christian principles in our culture, God is still at work. If things are going great and all of a sudden we see revival and awakening take place in our country, God is still at work. His plans never fail. Say it with me. His plans never fail, even when it doesn't look like it. So I want you to look at your life right now because I think every single one of us here has some points of doubt, some points of unbelief. Maybe it's relationships. Maybe it's finances. Maybe it's health. You know what your place is right now and you're looking at those places. You think about them when you go to bed. You think about it when you wake up and you're like, oh God, I I believe, help me in my unbelief, Lord. I want to encourage you I want to challenge you. Friends, God is at work. We just need sight to see. We need hearts to believe. We need minds to understand. Even when it doesn't appear like it, God's at work. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now, and we pray like the one Father. I believe, but help us in our unbelief. I pray, God, for anybody here who is really struggling to believe, to trust in your providence, to trust in your sovereignty as they look out at the obstacles and difficulties in life. We pray, God, that you would help them to see, help them to know that you are at work. You always have and you always will. You work all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Help us to truly believe that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please stand as we respond through song?